Welcome to the Brand Community Podcast. Brand communities are the foundation of business growth. They build a human connection between brands and their customers, turn those customers into lifelong advocates, and ultimately grow your business. I'm Sam Heisel, a co-founder and managing partner at Knox, a digital agency that helps brands, artists, and entrepreneurs grow and convert communities online. And I'm Chris Whitman, co-founder of Crony, a creative agency that connects brands and consumers through powerful brand experiences. Every Tuesday, we'll be interviewing marketing leaders and community builders so you can walk away with actionable strategies to help your brand grow and prosper. Welcome to the show. Chris, what's happening, man? How you doing today? I'm doing well, Sam. How about you? Here we got a great guest on. Oh, yeah. I mean, for the uh, inaugural Brand Community Podcast, we have one of the uh, uh, OGs of brand communities, Mr. The David Godfather Spinks himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, David Spinks, and we, we don't use those words lightly, uh, has been a longtime ambassador for the importance and, and showcasing some of the approaches behind building thriving communities that translate to massive business impact. He's the founder of CMX Hub, which is one of the leading media companies showcasing tactics, stories, people that are, are world-class community builders. He's also the uh, CMX Summit, which is an annual conference showcasing a lot of those same things. Uh, CMX was actually acquired, uh, CMX Hub was actually acquired by Bevy. Um, and David has now become the VP of community at Bevy, which is a very powerful platform for community building and virtual events. And he even has an upcoming book on the business of belonging that's coming in March, 2021. So, I really enjoyed this episode because I think he shares a, a lot of really tactical examples, frameworks, and tactics that you guys can all really deploy that really pull on his vast knowledge of some of the top community building strategies behind world-class brands. I think it's a, it's a good balance between micro and macro. So I really think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, you know, right off the bat, he's talking about solving problems for people and not just talking about community. Um, he gives a really interesting breakdown between B2B and B2C approaches. And uh, I like how he touches on serendipity and how it's a one-on-one -on -one interaction and, um, you know, ways and tactics for brands to uh, approach that, especially now with the backdrop of the pandemic in a, in a virtual world. Um, so yeah, really interesting stuff. And um, he does this really nice breakdown of uh, you know, the, the community cycle the, uh, that they're building over at Bevy. So pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, 1000%. Well, uh, without any further ado, Mr. David Spinks. David, what's happening, man? Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. For sure, man. We've got the, uh, the community master himself. Um, uh, very excited to have you on, man. I know we've uh, crossed paths a lot of times throughout the, the years. Um, uh, so it's really great to see just your continued commitment to helping grow the, the community of brand communities, man. So really excited to have you on. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's it's been a, been a while. You've seen me in the early days of banging the drum of community and seems like more people are on board now. So you're, yeah, yeah. You, you have evidence that I didn't just jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. When it comes to, uh, I mean, just to really like, Define community. I mean, I know it's a, it's a kind of like broad term. Um, for starters, how do you define community? And then how do you differentiate or where do you kind of draw the lines or between kind of like marketing versus more like community and community centric marketing tactics? Yeah, could probably have a whole conversation just on the definition of community. Um, something I've thought a lot about. Um, even I think just today I tweeted 
you know, stop focusing on the definition of community and just focus on how do you help solve problems for people by connecting them to each other. Um, Cause I think a lot of the time businesses get too caught up in, is this a community? Is it not? Is it an audience? Is it marketing? Um, and people like to proclaim, you know, this is or isn't a community. Uh, a good example right now is uh, Airbnb, uh, their IPO prospectus. They mentioned community 166 times in their prospectus. And um, I shared that out. A lot of people responding like, you know, I've been a host or I've been a guest and I, you know, I didn't feel like it was a community. And, and, you know, that's because community means a lot of different things and communities aren't, uh, you know, people experience them in different ways. So every community is going to have many different layers and levels. So, you know, in the Airbnb community, someone who hosts, you know, once a month um, may not feel uh, as strong of a sense of community as like a super host who is hosting, you know, full time, um, who won't feel as strong of a sense of community as an employee at Airbnb. Uh, who feels really connected and really invested. So, um, you know, community, I always say, is in the eye of the beholder. You know, if, if someone feels a sense of community, then it's a community to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's less helpful to try to define it and say this group is or isn't, and more helpful to just look at are people feeling a genuine, meaningful sense of community? And if so, then to them, it is a community. Yeah, we hear that a lot. And also just, you know, authenticity, right? Like that reigns supreme. Um, you know, in terms of like creating that value for the, for whoever the community member is, um, what would you say are like some of the better examples of companies that have built thriving communities and have translated that community building into, you know, economic success and, um, you know, profitability? Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of the OG companies, Apple kind of pioneered a lot of these kinds of community programs. Ellen Lenz was you know, the first, she was ahead of user groups there. Um, this was back in like before forums existed and they had to find these kind of chat rooms that people were talking about Apple products in and they ended up turning that into the user group connection and that that became a huge part of what helped Apple grow into the successful company is today. Um, a little more recently, but still, you know, been doing this a long time, Salesforce uh, with their Trailblazer community programs and Erica Cool. Uh, led that program from the ground up and ultimately became the VP of community there where now there's every product line that they have. And there are many of them will all have a community team dedicated to it. And um, they have communities for customer success, for uh, learning how to improve their product, for supporting their their customers. So um, two good examples of companies that yeah, invest. So for that like Salesforce one, can you just dive a little deeper as to like the, the function and mechanisms of uh, facilitating community engagement? Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of different ones. Um, you know, one of their core programs is their their local community groups, their Trailblazer ambassadors. So they have, um, I think, over 500 local chapters that are all um, their customers self-organizing events for other Salesforce admins on a local level. And Um, They have the Trailblazer program as well, which is all around customer success and helping admins teach each other and providing them with the education they need to be successful. Um, And then, you know, there there are support forums where you can go and ask technical questions about the product and get answers from other customers, uh, which offsets the cost of having to have a really large support staff if your customers can answer questions for each other. Um, so yeah, they, they kind of, they, they have such a mature community program that they kind of tap into, uh, every kind of objective that community programs usually drive. Yeah. That's, um, 
that's that's interesting stuff. And and that also just brings up, um, you know, B two B versus B two C, for example. Like, you know, would would you say that there are different tactics um, to deploy for for those two different segments, or would you say that it's pretty similar? You brought up two different types of companies. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think like all communities are fundamentally the same. It's, it's about finding a common need and identity and connecting people around that identity and putting them into spaces and experiences where they can support each other, teach each other, uh, connect with each other. And so, you know, in B2B, it's typically going to be, you know, it's a, it's a business consumer. It's, it's someone who's working for a company using software for their company. Um, it's part of their career. So a lot of B2B community programs will be very career focused um, in helping you grow in your career. So Salesforce has Trailblazer, um, HubSpot has the inbound community, which is all for inbound marketers. Uh, Branch Metrics has the mobile growth community, which is all for people who work in mobile growth. So B2B is going to be very focused on the identity of the profession Oftentimes, because if you have a software product and you're able to capture the identity of the profession who uses that software product, that's a really great way to own your category, right? This is the way Salesforce has for CRMs. For consumers, it's less career and it's more about, um, you know, wh- whatever the product is serving, whether it's fitness or technology or cooking or whatever the, the activity is. So it's, it's less tied to someone's professional identity and more tied to their, their personal identity. Um, but the programs themselves uh, often will will look pretty similar, right? You're you're hosting events, you're organizing online spaces for discussions, and you're just finding ways to bring people together in meaningful ways. Yeah, it's a great uh, segue into you know the effects of the pandemic this year and you know community building. I know uh, it takes place on a massive scale in real life and online, and you know I know that you've talked a lot about building hybrid communities. Before, have you seen any um, companies that have had to make some very seismic pivots into the virtual world? And any any um, examples of how they've been successful in doing that? Yeah, I mean, every company has had to make a seismic shift into the virtual world. Uh, in person is is shut down, right? Um, we haven't had an in person event in eight months. Um, around the world, aside from maybe like smaller gatherings where people are able to socially distance. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a short term of how has everyone pivoted and everyone pivoted to virtual, um, you know, we pivoted our own product at Bevy to be a virtual event platform. And, you know, a good example is, um, we just powered Google's DevFest, which was, you know, over 250 events around the world simultaneously held with 35,000 attendees, um, and, and what's cool is that like you couldn't do that when it was in person uh, because you'd have to fly everyone out from all over the world to be there in person. And now they were able to kind of bring everyone together from around the world in a really meaningful way. And so I think, I think companies were sleeping on virtual events before. I think there's a lot of value that companies weren't really identifying and weren't taking advantage of, which is you know the accessibility of an event, the affordability of a virtual event. Uh, you can bring a lot of people together in a way you just can't in, in person necessarily. Um, and and so everyone's kind of invested in it. But you know, on the other side of it, I think there's just already going to be a, a healthy dose of virtual event fatigue that a lot of people are feeling right now. 
Um, and so looking longer term and where, where we're kind of seeing things going and the research that we've done is pointing to, to hybrid events. Um, and I think, you know, what the future will look like is the world will start to open up once we get a vaccine, uh, start with smaller events, eventually move back to bigger events. And, uh, in that time, companies will kind of bring back their in-person, but but they're not going to get rid of the virtual. And that will also create a much more healthy balance of in-person and virtual for the consumer so they won't feel as fatigued by virtual events. They'll, they'll feel good about having options of I can attend events virtually or I can go to them in person. And now, you know, I have both the option of depth in person and accessibility virtually. Yeah, that's interesting. I got a quick quick follow-up on that, but, um, you know, serendipity is a big part of just meeting people in the real world, um, you know, event context. Uh, have you seen any tools and I'm not familiar enough with Bevy, um, and, and maybe Bevy does this, but have you seen any tools that really help, um, you know, encourage moments like that virtually? Totally. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, so like within Bevy there's things, um, and, and you'll see this in a lot of, you know, different virtual event tools. Um, uh, you know, speed networking is one thing that has worked really well in these virtual events. So matching people one-on-one for however much time you want, usually it's three, five or seven minutes um, and giving them prompts to discuss. And then you just kind of bring everyone back into a main room. Everyone is very happy in that moment because they just had a cool, quick conversation and then they get put back into one-on-one chats. Um, So that's kind of a way of manufacturing that serendipity is just giving, I mean, how does serendipity happen in an in-person event? It happens one-on-one, right? It happens like you running into someone in a hallway or meeting someone at an event. It's usually one-on-one conversations or or very small group conversations. It's not when you're sitting in the auditorium with 3,000 people looking at a stage. It's generally not where serendipity happens. And so, but that's how a lot of virtual events are designed. It's, it's one video that everyone is watching and one massive chat where everyone is chatting. Serendipity is not going to happen there. So finding those opportunities for that one-on-one networking with, whether with like speed networking or another thing that we have, and we've done with our own event CMX summit is, is networking tables. So we set up tables, um, both open ones. So people in at our events were able to say like, hey, is anyone else here working in healthcare? I'm going to join this networking table at three o'clock. Uh, come, come join us for a chat. And so they self-organized their own little discussion groups. We also had a bunch that we set up called birds of feather tables where we had, I think it was like 12 different topics. And so we said at, it was like one o'clock or something around lunchtime, go to this table uh, go to go to the table of the topic that is interesting to you, and there'll be a facilitated discussion on that topic. And those groups are, you know, usually about ten people at most. And so those smaller groups and those one-on-one conversations—that's where uh, serendipity is going to show up. It's not going to show up in these kind of like massive rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that makes a lot of sense, and I think uh, just really thought, uh, important for people to think of as they are pivoting to adapt and, and leverage virtual events. With that said, I mean, I know you've referenced a handful of different examples of different ways in which brands and organizations have built communities. And we do definitely realize that there is never going to be a a one-size-fits-all approach. But when you're kind of speaking with companies or in your experience building and growing communities on your own, what have you found to be some of the most effective like frameworks and tactics for growing engaged communities? Oh, how much time do you have? 
I'm yeah. writing a whole book on this, Sam. I have, I have so much to share. Well, I guess we just have to buy the book. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, one of the one of the core frameworks um, in the book uh, that I share is called the social identity cycle, um, and it's it's a framework that I developed to basically help anyone understand how to develop a community and how someone, an individual member, experiences a community as they become a more engaged member over time. And so there are three stages and it's a cycle. It's identification, participation, and validation, right? So if you think about any time you've joined a community, um, first there's identification. It's, okay, is this a group for me? Do I identify with this group? Is this a topic that interests me? Um, and what's the voice? What's the tone? What's the culture? All these things that are kind of the social identity of the community are things that we we pick up on early on when we first see a community and join it. And then over time, as we become a more engaged member of the community, we start to adopt that social identity and it becomes part of who we are, right? Um the second stage is participation. So if I identify with the community, I need to take some sort of action to contribute to it. I need to, maybe in the early days, it's small actions, right? Like signing up, filling out my profile, introducing myself. Over time, it's participating in conversations, showing up to events. Maybe eventually I reach you know, a power user status and I'm posting all the time. I'm showing up regularly or, or maybe I'm a leader and I decide to host my own event within the community or take on a moderator role or, or some sort of leadership position. And then the third stage is validation. So you identify with a group, you participate in some way, then you need to feel validated for that participation. And, and a lot of communities kind of miss this part and they'll, you know, welcome someone to the community and they introduce themselves, but then, you know, they don't get a response. They don't get any sort of value from that first experience. So they don't feel validated. And so there's less reason for them to come back and go through the cycle again. And so you want to validate them. You want to make sure that they feel welcomed, that people see them. Um, in the early days when you're just introducing yourself, you want to make sure every member who introduces themselves gets some sort of response, some sort of reaction mm -hmm. from other members of the community or the organizing team. Um, over time, you can use external rewards like badges, points, um, swag, things like that. Or you really mm -hmm. lean into the intrinsic motivation of, you know, why does this person want to participate here? What, what do they want to learn? How do they want to grow? Who do they want to meet? And you just make sure that they're getting that validation that they came for. If they get that validation, that reinforces the identity and it closes the loop. So now, um, I feel a stronger sense of identity as part of this community because I participated, I was validated for it, identify with it strongly. Now I want to participate in greater and greater ways because I identify with it more strongly. As I participate in greater ways, the, the reward, the validation increases. And so that cycle continues and continues until I'm you know, an actively engaged member of the community. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. I really uh very actionable framework and i think it really nails on a lot of the, the key areas of focus along this quote unquote like funnel um in order to get it to a point where it's able to really kind of snowball on itself um when it comes to like in the realm of like tactics as it pertains to communities um i know sometimes like i think the validation tactic that you just mentioned is a really great way to ensure people come back and and want to contribute again but i do feel like sometimes there is this issue where it's like you can be creating a, a, a good space, like a good environment, medium, forum, whatever mechanism you're using to actually house the community and, and facilitate that level of engagement. But like, it's quiet and goes dead. And like, maybe every now and then there'll be somebody that, like, quote unquote, community manager that's trying to like 
probe and ask questions or share links, but it never really takes off. I mean, I do think a lot of the points you just mentioned in that framework are, are very helpful for from the jump, trying to make sure that that doesn't happen. But outside of that, are there other ways in which you think about sustaining and, and really getting a community to a point where it's snowballing on itself? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the the concept that you can launch a community and it's just going to, you know, automatically, organically take off is a myth, um, or at best, it's the exception to the rule. Uh, you look mm-hmm. at any community that has ever been launched, uh, you know, even the largest communities today, and the the people who started those communities were like hustling to get it off the mm-hmm. ground and, and get people to be engaged and get people to um, to show up. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's easier than others. You know, maybe you, you think about it as like people community fit, right? Or community mm-hmm. market fit. Um, it's like you want to find the right community, the right identity, the right purpose, the right kind of conversation for the right people. Right? You might get everything in the community right, but the, the people in there are wrong. Maybe it was people mm-hmm. who didn't feel connected to each other or drawn to each other. Um, and it's about just, you know, continuing to work to get the right people in the room, continuing to show up and bring energy into that space until until you start to find some momentum and, and, and build it up. Um, but I mean, yeah, like look at like Reddit. You know, they they were pretending to be members in the early days of Reddit because they couldn't get enough activity organically. Next door, Sarah Leary was knocking on doors. She went door to door asking people to sign up for the platform. Like that's the level of work that she put in to get people to be engaging. Uh, engaging on the platform. And so, yeah, I think like the same way we think about a startup and like an MVP, um, it's your minimum viable community and you want to be doing things that don't scale, right? You you Mm -hmm. don't want to just invite a hundred people into a Slack channel and just like hope that they start chatting. You want to personally email 10 of the like most perfect people you can think of and organize a group discussion first. Like, Hey, we're going to do a mm-hmm. chat uh, when we can meet in person again. Maybe it's a coffee or a brunch or something like that. Right. That's mm-hmm. how Ryan Hoover started product hunt. He just was organizing brunches and that turned into product hunt. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you, you just continue to like personally invite people, personally welcome people and make the ask of them. Like you, you can manufacture engagement in the early days by, um, not waiting for people to participate, but asking them to participate. So, you mm-hmm. know, if I invited both of you into a community that I just launched, let's say I invited, you know, 20 people to it, and I invited both of you, I would message each of you privately and I would say like, hey, um, I'm really trying to get this community off the ground. Um, I would love your help to like get things going and get the ball rolling. Would you mind, you know, at some point today posting a question that you have to the group, right? And mm-hmm. so- you know, if I ask you that personally, Sam, like, would you go in and do that? Of course, man. Of, of For course. you, David. You're a good guy. You're a good guy. So, <laughs> so yeah, so you would do that. And then once you posted that, I wouldn't wait for people to respond to you. I would then message Chris and I would message three other members. I'd be like, hey, I'm really trying to get uh, activity going in this community. Sam just posted a really awesome question in the group that I think you would have a, a lot of expertise that you can share on it. Would you mind jumping in and just, you know, answering that question at some point today? And Sam, would, would you think you might do that if I asked you to, to jump in there? Of course, man. Just, just once. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, you know, you would do that and, um, and you know, then, uh, then, okay. Now we're setting an example of activity in the community. We have the foundation of community. Now, if someone else joins, they see, 
a question and a bunch of good answers and like, oh, cool. Like mm-hmm. people are putting energy into this space. Now I feel drawn into it. Now it's kind of this like center of gravity of energy. And that's the foundation of community that you can build upon. Mm-hmm. I love that grassroots approach. And the personalization I think is really important as well. And like setting it, setting a good example, um, creating advocacies, you know, advocates within the community itself. Right. So, um, how does, I'm, I'm not as familiar with Bebby. So just curious, like, can you explain a little bit how Bebby is helping community builders? Um, you know, what's the platform do and yeah, totally. um, just dive into that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So Bevy is a, you can think of it as like, uh, an events based community platform. So there's lots of community platforms out there that are like forums or message boards. Um, Bevy is all about events and live experiences, um, and so you can kind of think of it in two buckets. There's the, the community platform, and this is for any company that's running kind of, you know, a chapter based community where you have local ambassadors, uh, who are self-organizing their own events. It's a tool where you can give them their own chapter. They have the right permissions and tools and systems to run all of their own events, but you as an organization can see across the you know, 500 cities that you have local ambassadors in, you can see what the event engagement is all in one place. And you can see which chapters are active or going inactive and who's attending the events. And you can connect all that data back to your CRM. Whereas before companies that were doing this, everyone was using a different tool to host their events. And so, um, so they had no idea who was actually RSVPing to the event or attending the event because they were using Eventbrite and Meetup and all these different tools. So it kind of centralizes that whole platform. Um, and so that's powering, um, you know, yeah, like Salesforce's program, Google's program, um, uh, uh, Slack's community program. All, tons of companies are running programs like this where they have local ambassadors. Um, so that's one bucket. And then the second bucket is a virtual event platform. And so uh, if you're hosting a virtual conference, you can uh, do it standalone on Bevy without the community part of it, or you can do both um, uh, as well as like any sort of virtual event or meetup. And so now with coronavirus, uh, because of virtual tools available, once again, before um, if you have all these kind of local ambassadors, everyone was using Zoom or Hopin or all these kind of disparate tools, and you have no idea, you know, what who's attending or mm-hmm. how the events are going. Now all the the local ambassador has to do is, you know, check the box for a virtual event, and they get full access to the Bevy virtual event platform as well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we use it for our own, right? We have sixty chapters for CMX around the world. All of it's powered on Bevy. We just hosted CMX Summit for uh, five thousand people. Um, that was hosted on the on the Bevy conference platform. Very cool. That's amazing. Um, well, I know it's it's crazy how fast time has blown by, but uh, I think you're just a wealth of knowledge and tactics when it comes to growing and building uh-huh. communities, man. So it's so super grateful you were able to share it with us. I think. Uh, Everyone that's listening should definitely be sure to check out CMX Hub, uh, Bevy. Really excited about the book. And um, really just on, on behalf of the brand world, thank you for, for being such a pioneer when it comes to helping make sure that community building and community management is, is such a critical component of helping uh, companies serve their customers and audiences. Awesome. Very much uh, appreciate you having me on. And uh, thanks for all the support. Yeah, definitely, David. Until next time, man. Take it easy. Thanks, David. Man, well, that was an incredible episode. I think great episode to lead off with. I think David has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to 
general trends, insight, case studies, stories, tactics for building communities. And I think he, he really nailed a lot of those points in this episode. One of the things that I really particularly like from a tactical perspective is as people are joining communities, making sure that they're, they're feeling validated, that there's some level of like feedback loop and that they're not just kind of engaging in an abyss, but they're really uh, what they're bringing to the table is being received. So I also really enjoyed him diving into tactics and doing things that don't scale. I think everybody's always just trying to focus their efforts on what is the most scalable way to do something, when in reality, some of these tactics early on of doing personalized outreach to ask people to engage, to uh, ask people to engage with other people that are engaging, stuff like that really starts to help contribute to some some launch velocity and momentum to really help communities um kind of start to have this snowball effect rather than just uh, assuming and hoping it'll happen on its own. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I love the self-perpetuating cycle and how he breaks that down. And, um, you know, it's, it's a really nice and tight framework as well in terms of like, you know, in general, just building your own like brand advocates, right, within your own community um, and getting them to, you know, basically conform to that grassroots approach, that personalization, etc. Um, I also didn't really know too much about Bevy going into this episode, and I think it sounds like a really amazing tool um, and definitely one that uh, I will be checking out moving forward, especially for my agency. And, um, you know, definitely looking forward to his book uh, that, that's coming out as well. It sounds like he's, uh, it's been 10 years in the making, uh, so, <laughs> as he described it. So uh, pretty exciting stuff. And um, yeah, really, really awesome. So I hope everybody enjoyed. All right, well, there you have it. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's, let's go build those communities, people.